Hey, investor. Today, I am interviewing Kevin Bupp, a highly sought-after speaker and guest with over 20 years of investing experience. Today, he's bringing major insight to passive investors in two key areas. First, a red flag to look for in sponsors that you invest with. And second, the asset class that's primed to be the next big boom and why. Stick around for this value-packed episode. This is Building Passive Income and Wealth Through Real Estate, where we guide you through the relentless pursuit of financial independence. I'm your host, Justin Moy, Managing Partner at Perpetual Wealth Capital, a multifamily real estate investing firm that lets everyday people invest passively in income-producing apartment buildings. Hey, investors. Welcome back to another episode of the show. Today, I have an extremely exciting guest, Kevin Buck. Now, Kevin is a Florida-based real estate investor, top podcast host, and a best-selling author, has over $250 million of real estate transactions. He has extensive experience in all types of asset classes that we'll dive into today from apartments to single-family portfolios, medical offices, parking lots, mobile home parks, built to rent, and his resume just goes on and on and on. But Kevin is a fantastic guy, and I'm excited to have you on the show, Kevin. Justin, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, so I didn't do your intro much justice because your rap sheet is just gigantic in this space. You've been there, done that, been in the industry for a long, long time, have experienced many market cycles, been an active and passive investor. Give us like that 10,000 foot view of how you went from where you were then to where you are now. So let's just kind of get a sense of who they're listening to. Sure thing, Justin. I'll keep it somewhat condensed. And I always like to joke that I've never had a real job. I got introduced to real estate at the age of 19. I was going to a local community college and ultimately saw an opportunity there with a local mentor, local real estate investor where I grew up that kind of took me underneath his wing. And again, just saw an opportunity that I didn't know even existed. And so just really worked for him for free in between tending bar in the evenings and going to school. It did that for like a year and a half. I was his unpaid admin, right? I just did whatever he needed. He was a small entrepreneur. And so he always had things going on on a day-to-day basis. And through osmosis, just being around him, I learned at least his business, what his model was, which was small multifamily and single family investments. Mostly he was a buy and hold investor. Everything that he bought, he bought with the intent of holding and renting and creating long-term passive income. And very quickly, I adopted that same model and then realized I had to put a little twist on it. I had limited capital at that age. And basically my first house I bought with the $7,000 I had saved up tending bar, also with a private lender kicking in the remainder and realized that ultimately I couldn't follow his exact model at that point in time. And so I ended up wholesaling houses, building up capital. And then I would keep like one out of every three, right? I would try to flip a few, keep one, flip a few, keep one. And I did that for many years until I could start keeping more and more, had built up an extensive list of private investors that wanted to fund our projects. And my early to mid-20s built up a fairly substantial portfolio of single family properties and small multifamilies, over 120 single families and a few hundred multifamily doors. And then just like a lot of folks, I got started with the residential stuff and then saw really the bigger picture, saw some efficiencies with larger commercial real estate transactions, again, both multifamily and then really had ventured into a number of other asset classes. But more recently, I guess I could say in the last decade, stumbled into mobile home parks. That was kind of like the first epiphany that I had post-residential world. 
residential, meaning single family and multifamily properties, and bought our first mobile home park back in 2011 and have been buying them ever since. And then along the way, have bought many other asset classes, both actively and passively, more specific to our active business. We buy mobile home parks and parking assets, so parking lots and parking garages. So that's kind of the condensed version. It's been 20 years now. I've been doing this thing since uh, I guess two, right around 2001, I guess you could say, or 2000. So here we are today, 20 years later. <laughs> hey, 20 years in like three minutes. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So <laughs> journey. So you had kind of evolved and yeah, pretty typical, even that we hear from our investors. Hey, I, I have a couple single family homes I'm looking to do into multifamily because that's exclusively what we do. But you didn't stop there. You have gone on into other things you've done office buildings, you mm -hmm. now do, you said parking and mobile home parks. What did you see that made you think, hey, parking and mobile home parks is where I want to go? Or I don't know if specialize is the word to use, but a lot of people stick with multifamily, single family, because they get it. Like everybody's yeah. got to live somewhere. I've lived in an apartment before. I've rented a house before, but a lot of people never really get past that into like industrial or offices or mm -hmm. parking lots. What were you seeing that made you say, Hey, this is where we're going to go with Sunrise Capital? I've always been one to look for like, where's the strategic advantage? What is the niches that aren't being exploited that represent an opportunity? And multifamily became very competitive. And speaking to why we kind of moved away from just single family investments, and today might be a little bit different. There's a lot of technology that exists today as far as from a property management side that have allowed both private companies as well as public companies scale their single family investment portfolios. Back then, that didn't really exist. And it was a very inefficient process. And there was a ton of inefficiencies associated with the day-to-day -day operations of managing 100 plus single family properties. And that was one of the reasons we really started putting emphasis on multifamily. But just like how a lot of these things go, I surrounded myself by other people that were doing different things, big things, and just got to understand their business and what was their strategic advantage and what did they do well? And could it represent an opportunity for me? Again, not chasing shiny objects, but just seeing the bigger picture. And that's kind of what attracted to me other forms of commercial real estate. Again, everyone gets residential. Everyone needs a roof over their head. And so that makes a lot of people shy away from these other alternative commercial types of assets, office buildings, retail, self-storage, things of that nature. They just, they're comfortable with what they can easily understand, but they're not willing to get out of their comfort zone to look at that bigger picture and maybe another opportunity that they didn't realize existed before. And so that's what really pushed me down that path. As far as mobile home parks are concerned, it was just one of those random situations. I met a guy through a mutual friend that had been a banker for 30 years. He had been in the commercial banking world, lent on mobile home and RV parks here in Florida for like 15 of those years. And then post-retirement from the bank, he saw a lot of his clients making money in RV parks and decided to buy three really nice RV parks here in Florida back in like 2009, 2010. And a close friend of mine said, Hey, you just need to meet with rain. I know you like meeting new people and surrounding yourself with just those that are doing big things or good things. And I met Randy, had lunch with him, didn't really have an agenda for that meeting other than just get, meet someone new. And after two hours of spending time with him, him asking me questions about my past and me asking him questions, I was really intrigued about mobile home parks in his business. And he kind of sold me on all the unique aspects of that asset class. But more importantly, he sold me on just how under the radar it was, at least back then. Today, different story. I mean, it's yeah. been exploited. The secret's been out for now a couple of years, but I saw that as an opportunity to look at a different asset class I'd never considered before. And again, mobile home parks are residential. So everyone needs a roof over their head. A lot of this country needs an affordable roof over their head, which mobile home parks fit that void quite well. So yeah. that's really what drove me to that direction. 
And you've seen kind of a lot of those cycles where like single family, you could get in, you could get some really, really great yield. And then, okay, maybe you graduate into multifamily, then, okay, that gets a little congested. So then you go to maybe offices and then, so you have this kind of progression of asset classes. Mm-hmm. What are you seeing right now? Do you still think mobile home parks is, let's say you were going to go back 10 years or maybe to the investors listing right now who are like, shoot, man, well, I couldn't get in in multifamily when it was growing. I couldn't get into mobile home parks. Kevin just said that now it's getting congested. What's that next thing? Do you have any yeah. idea of what you think kind of for that investor that's maybe just getting started thinking, well, I want to be ahead of the curve. What's that next class? What are your thoughts? I'll speak to some of the unique nuances with mobile home parks and kind of if you're just getting started now. And I'll start by saying that you can make money in every different type of real estate. It's not that one's better than the other. Again, we try to find our strategic advantage and maybe try to get ahead of the curve. And we feel like we were ahead of the curve in mobile home parks 10 years ago. The wave has caught up. It has. I mean, it's inevitable. And the unique thing about mobile home parks is there's a massive supply demand constraint that exists in that asset class. It doesn't really exist in pretty much any other asset class. They're not building more mobile home parks. They are, but there are more that get redeveloped or shut down every year than new inventory that comes on the marketplace. So you got this diminishing supply, while at the same time, you've got an increased demand for that same product. And so it creates a lot of competition. There's lots of institutional capital pouring into the space, which most of them have a cheaper cost of capital. And so competing against us type of retail investors, it's very hard to compete on high quality assets. And so I would say that Nothing is impossible, but if you were someone coming and saying, hey, I want to scale a mobile home park business and I want to own half a billion dollars in mobile home parks within the next three years, I would say it's possible, but it's going to be very challenging to buy them right and to scale massively like that. Mm -hmm. Multifamily, I think that's still possible. I mean, there's still new inventory coming on the marketplace. It's forever cycling. And mobile home parks, there's a challenge. There's a barrier that I don't know how to get over. And so we still buy mobile home parks. There's still opportunity. If you dig hard enough and dig through enough haystacks, you'll find that one needle. And we do a couple really good ones every year, but nowhere near what we were finding six years ago. So again, it's all about being in front of that wave, right? We felt like we were in front of that wave of mobile home parks. We started studying parking four years ago, and there was a lot of similarities. That's a very fragmented asset class. In fact, I guarantee that you and probably the majority of the people that are listening here probably don't know anyone that's immediate to them that owns a parking investment. But guess what? Someone owns them. Municipalities own some, but there's tons of private owners out there that own these parking assets. And there's some antiquated software within that asset class. Technology hasn't fully caught up there yet. And so it creates inefficiencies. And how we look at parking is that if we buy it in the right location, it's a phenomenal covered land play that generates cash flow today. And it's never going to have a lower use than what it's currently used for at the present time, right? You can't take an asphalt parking lot and say that if it's used for parking, all it has is gravel or asphalt, that it will ever have a lower use than that because there's nothing on it. There's really no improvement. So if you buy it right, you can only go up from that point forward, again, assuming that it's a great location. I think there's a lot of opportunity parking. We've had some difficulty scaling there, speaking back to deploying significant amounts of capital in an asset class. And we were hoping that over the last couple of years, we would have been able to deploy 150 million of equity into parking. And we've been able to deploy about 30 million of equity in the parking. And we've worked really hard at doing that. There's opportunity there because we don't have a lot of competition when we're making bids on deals. There are other buyers out there, but nowhere near like when you get into a highest and best with a multifamily property or even a mobile home park. And so that's one wave to be in front of. But I think another big wave to be in front of is built rent space. We've got this massive shortage in this country of housing and it gets market by market of what that shortage really looks like. But the built to rent space 
is a fairly new asset class. It's truly got its own identity now for the most part. And there are billions upon billions of institutional capital trying to pour into that space, but there's no inventory for them to buy. They don't want to take on the development risk of building new product, but they're just waiting in the background to pour their money into the space. And so I truly think given the housing shortage and also being at the front wave of these institutions that are just trying their heart out to pour money into the space, being in front of that wave is where you want to be. You always want to try to figure out where is the institutional capital going? That's smart money. They spend tens of millions of dollars every year on figuring out where that wave is heading. And how do you get in front of those institutional waves, I think, is where you make your big bucks. And so I'll leave it at that for now. But again, we've done really well with mobile home parks. We've sold a lot to larger investors over the years. And I think there's opportunity in those other asset classes I mentioned. And there's probably other ones out there as well, but we try to stick to our lane and do what we do best. Yeah. So why the build to rent space? Because I've been hearing that a lot myself as well. And even Neil Bawa, who was just recently on the show, Mm -hmm. he's really, really big on that space and he loves it. There's a big demographic shift that's happening. That's a big part of it. The Gen Zs and you got the millennials and millennials are just entering into their household formation years. A lot of them want to have that little bit of yard. They want the dog. They want their own slice of heaven. But a lot of them actually, they're moving more towards a renter mentality. Like they don't want the responsibility of owning a home. A lot of them now are actually priced out of owning a home, right? With the interest rates where they went. So there's a certain contingent of them that they don't want the responsibility, but yet they want that single family life experience, whether it's a townhome or it's a detached single family home. They want that, but they don't want the responsibility with it. And then there's the other contingent that actually... They want that as well. They had hoped to buy, but now they're actually forced into renting. And this offers a great solution for them. And there's a bunch of different factors involved of what's really pushing or driving that demand. But we really are turning into a renter nation. And there's definitely a need for your traditional multifamily apartments, but there's plenty of people and it's a growing number that prefer to have that detached or that single family home experience. So Fido can go out in the backyard. They've got a garage to pull into. They've got three or four bedrooms and they can actually house an entire family. And so which there's limitations to that with a traditional apartment, most yeah. of them being two bedrooms, some may be three, but like limited size floor plans. And right. so, yeah, and again, there's other factors involved there, but the big part is that we've got this massive shortage of housing in this country. No way that we're going to meet that demand is by building new product, both apartments and single family, single family for sale, but Also, we got to meet this growing contingent of folks that want rental units. They don't want to own. They want to rent. And again, we really are shifting to that renter nation that folks spoke to that maybe seven, eight years ago. And I don't think it got too much attention, but now we've realized over the last couple of years, just really the truth behind that. And now with the interest rates rising and COVID really also, I think, opened everyone's eyes to living in confined spaces. Like They realized that they actually enjoyed living in the suburbs and The suburbs have just as many cool things going on for the most part. If you live in a decent area, they've got restaurants, they've got shops, they've got activities that could only be found in urban type environments. And so it's a booming industry. The challenge being is that you basically have to get into the development mindset and ultimately look to build new, which we like because you don't have old infrastructure. You're not buying a 30-year-old building that's got old mechanicals. You're developing and building in equity from the front end, and you've got a product that practically will have minimal upkeep and maintenance for the first decade of its life. Yeah. I really am interested in that space. And we actually build apartments in Boise as well, Okay, but we sell. So we don't hold them and continue to rent. And usually they're not going to investors. And so that space is interesting. Mm -hmm. 
And again, just like you said, what's your strategic advantage? Yep. Are institutions willing to build things? So far, that answer is no. Mm-hmm. And they're not really going there. So you have less competition in that space, but because it's harder and there's more risk and construction loans are personally guaranteed. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of reasons, but I really enjoy that. So I want to switch gears here and talk about another experience that you have, because we could talk about all your experience for a couple of hours. You've been doing so much, but you have an extensive experience as a passive investor in other properties as well. Is it funds? Is it syndications? Or when you invest as a passive investor, what is your strategy? What do you like? All the above. And I'd say that the only asset class that I don't personally have money invested in at this point in time would be office buildings. I love self-storage as an investment vehicle. I've got personal investments in self-storage fund, as well as some individual syndications with a couple different groups. I've got my capital invested in multifamily with multifamily syndicators, mostly deal-specific syndications. I've got medical office in there. I've got some retail. I've got RV parks. A big part of it's the asset class. I got to believe in the asset class and I got to believe in the location that it's in and kind of the business plan behind it. But of equal importance, if not more importance, is the actual sponsor. What's their track record? How long they've been doing it? Are they putting their own personal capital in the deal as well? And you could have a phenomenal deal in a great location, but if you got a really poor operator and sponsor, then more than likely that deal is not going to meet expectations. And so I believe, I wholeheartedly believe in staying in our own lane. It's really hard to be great at many different things. And it's taken us 10 years to say that we've truly mastered and gained that expertise in mobile home parks. We've been studying parking for the last four years and have been in the ownership seat for two years. So we literally studied it for two years before we even wow. took the dive and bought our first asset. I mean, when I say study, we attended all the national conventions, networked in the industry, just really got a firm, comfortable handle on it before we decided to kind of bring that into the portfolio. Because again, you don't want to divert your focus or lose focus on the task at hand, which yeah. to us was mobile home parks for many years. And same with build the rent. We've been studying, been going to IMM conferences for the last couple of years. And really we subscribe to very expensive institutional data on that space. And we follow the trends. We've been watching it. And in the last year, I've made the decision to move forward and enter into a few different development phases. And so that's about our limitation, really those three. And for me to say that I would be able to become an expert and build a vertical and self-storage or medical office or any of that, I think I'd be lying to myself. So yeah. my money is a better use by putting it with a solid sponsor that that is their expertise. Got it. So is that something that you look for when you're placing money as well with the sponsor? Like, hey, this is what we do and this is only it, whether it's multifamily or medical buildings or self-storage. I don't want to use the word red flag, but do your ears kind of perk up if you see somebody says, oh, our portfolio has everything under the sun? It would draw some red flags. I'm trying to think of my current investments and I'm sure there's a few in there where they own maybe two different asset types. And I don't think there's any in there that own more than that or that specialize in more than that. I know there are a number of funds out there, most of them being probably fund of funds type arrangements that might have their own fund of fund and they're putting capital with a couple different sponsors amongst multiple different asset classes, maybe self-storage, multifamily, and could be another one lumped in there. In fact, I know there's a few that have three or four asset classes that they kind of target. And even being that fund to fund sponsor, I think it's just really difficult for them to truly gain from an asset management level and expertise enough to be able to vet those different verticals. From a very high level, yes, but I think there's a big challenge there. Again, not going to say it can't be done because there's plenty of people that surely do it. 
And I've met some private equity groups that are opportunistic investment groups, and they kind of have a wide array of different asset classes. But I don't think it's the norm. And it would at least draw some attention from me. And I'd have to dig deeper to be able to gain a comfort level with it. I like that answer. I'm totally the same way with anything in life. It's really hard to be a master at all the things. Like We've studied the build to rent space for about a year now, but we literally brought in on our team someone I've known for six years. He's been a developer for 20 plus years. He's done some incredibly large projects in Washington, DC, New York City. I mean, some major, major markets that are kind of cutthroat. And so we spent a good bit of time before we decided to go down that road. But ultimately, we knew that we would never be able to fully gain ourselves all that expertise in a short period of time. And so bringing someone into the fray and on the team that has that extensive experience that also there's a significant alignment of interest between the two of us. And I've known him personally for many, many years. We didn't take that decision lightly at all and spent a good bit of time contemplating going down that road. And ultimately wouldn't have done it if we didn't find the right partner to team up with. I really like that. I mean, it's also looking at the team too, just like mm-hmm. we said, it's hard for even one operator to be a master, even in their one vertical, it takes a big team to make these things happen really, really well. So I really like a lot of the stuff we talked about. I think it's super, super valuable. Staying ahead of the curve of asset classes is so big. And everybody looks back and says, oh, well, if this was 10 years ago, I would have been in mobile home parks or I would have been in office building before COVID and hindsight's always 2020. So always looking ahead. I love your insight in the build to rent space. And also some of the advice for those passive investors as well, what to look for in some operators. Mm-hmm. We have a saying, it's called bet on the jockey in terms of the operating team, yeah. have great operators and make sure that they're experts in what they do. But Kevin, I think this has been an awesome, awesome episode. How can listeners get a hold of you and maybe who should reach out and get in touch? Yeah, you can go visit me on my website, kevinbup.com. If you can see behind me, I released a book not too long ago about investing in commercial real estate called The Cashflow Investor. You can go to kevinbup.com forward slash free book and grab a free PDF version of that. If you want to learn what we're doing within the company, the different offerings that we have and kind of what we do in the mobile home park and the build the rent space and the parking space, you can go to investwithsunrise.com. And through one of those avenues, you will be able to track me down if you're trying to get a hold of me directly. <laughs> awesome. Listen, we're going to put all those resources in the show notes. And while you're there, of course, if you haven't already, make sure you download our free book, The Definitive Guide to Passive Real Estate Strategies. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the show. Justin, thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Kevin. Now, just as a reminder, there's two huge takeaways. First, the build to rent market has key social and financial data to support it being an asset class that's primed to be the next big thing. And second, vetting sponsors to make sure they aren't spread too thin in their experience. It's really, really hard to be a master at multiple instruments, just like it's really, really hard to be a master at multiple asset classes and investing strategies. I hope you found this episode valuable and make sure to subscribe to our show to get alerted to next week's episode.